0: Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad Nass. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community. and We're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go.
1: Welcome back, Slackers. Brad, how you doing? I am doing great. It is an awesome day. A little wet, bit of weather out there, but uh, I rode in today. Every day riding to work is good. Can't complain.
0: What? You, you. Huh? What? Brad doesn't ride motorcycles. If there's anything I've learned from our listeners, it's that Brad doesn't ride
1: motorcycles. From our listeners. That's great. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I got a motorcycle. I've been riding for the last couple weeks. It's okay. It's all right. You're Nothing. riding?
0: Yeah. Talk to us, man. What's going on?
1: Yeah, so I uh, went to Burns, picked up uh, my dad's uh, V-Star 1300, and uh, been riding that for the last couple of weeks into work. I've put a couple hundred miles on it since I've got it over here, so that's been good. Uh, man, it's awesome to be back in the saddle. It's awesome. It's good.
0: I believe that. Yeah, but that's a, a good well-over leader over what you're used to. How's that?
1: Oh. Well, you know, it, it's different. It's a different type of a bike. I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, leader bikes in general, depending on, you know, the classification of the bike, can be quite different, uh, but, uh, you know, regardless, compared to the KLR, this is like, it's crazy. I mean, it's easy to get up to 70 miles an hour on this uh, cruiser, but, uh, you know, that was almost top speed for the KLR, so you got to be a little bit more cautious, or at least aware of what you're doing because it's so easy to just rip it to 70 80 miles an hour. I mean it, I mean it is, especially if you want to start going through the gears and you're ringing them out. I mean it it moves. Moves. I mean it's not a it's not a sports bike by any means. It's not made for fast shifts, but uh it's got a good grunt to it. It moves right along. I believe
0: that. Yeah. A 1300, especially a metric cruiser like that, it's got a little giddy up. Now what's uh do you have a tachometer? What's the red line? How far can you rev that thing out?
1: Uh, it doesn't have a tachometer. It doesn't even have a fuel gauge, which is, you know, other points that we can talk about that I think are just interesting. Uh, but um, it uh, it's about six thousand five hundred RPMs is what I've seen. A couple programmers will let you push that a little bit if you want to, uh, to mess with it. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know, it's it's good.
0: 1300 cc's of, of two pistons you probably don't need to push more than 6500. I mean that, that's a fair amount of mass knocking around on a somewhat. I imagine How's the vibration. I imagine it's got a bit of a vibration.
1: It does it does. Now one of the things that I'd noticed uh, and it's not a, a, a knock against my dad I mean the bike had run great for him. It had uh, 51,000 miles on it when I picked it up. He put that on in about five years of uh, commuting to and from uh, Burns in Ontario, Oregon, for those that uh, are aware of those of that area. But um, he uh, he wrote it a lot, and he'd gone through several tires every five six thousand miles. He was putting new tires on uh, of some sort, and uh, placed the spark plugs every time he changed the oil. I mean, he did some awesome, uh, you know, maybe unnecessary at times maintenance. But one of the things that he didn't do was the um, valve lash adjustment ever so that's one thing that uh in alignment with that and not having ever synced the throttle bodies i think that some of the vibration will actually get a little bit better most of that that i can see and feel is at low rpm and you can hear a little bit of valve noise so that's on my to-do list here in the next couple weeks is to actually pull the fuel tank and get in there and do some of that work so it's not like major surgery by any means but it's not simple say, to get in there and now,
0: access this. Is it a pushrod engine, or is it uh, overhead cam? Overhead cam. Okay. So it's not a an old-school type V-twin. You've got some no. modern technology with an overhead cam, so you could yep. rev it out a little further. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, I say pushrods will end up having a fair amount of valve noise anyway, but yeah, the overhead cam should be pretty quiet, so I imagine you're probably talking spring on bucket. Sorry, shim on bucket. No. No, it's still adjustable. Lock nut.
1: Yep. Adjustable valve. So it's simple in that regard. I mean, I just gotta go in there. Yeah. Put a feeler gauge in there. I mean, I'll probably make some tools to just make it a little bit easier looking into it and kind of what it's gonna take. Um, maybe buy buy a couple things, but uh, uh yeah, I mean I've gotta do this on the KLR too and I I mean I've got a little bit of a progress update on that, not not running. But I'm going to be doing valve adjustments and everything on there as well. So, I mean, it's kind of seeming like that's kind of the season for me once I get to that point. So, uh, I'll get practice on one, and then I'll just do the other one. Obviously different, but uh, but nonetheless, um, looking forward to that. So it needs a little bit of maintenance in that regard, but otherwise, yeah, I've been I've been riding it, no issues, runs runs great. Uh, just other than I think a little bit of vibration and stuff, and uh, I think some of that will actually clean up. So. Not too worried about it.
0: I imagine, uh, yeah, I imagine you will get that taken care of pretty quick. Yeah, especially we talked about the specialty tools. I mean, if you're just adjusting a lock nut, really all you need is, is a a good.
1: Uh, I need a, a three millimeter. Gauge. Um, yeah, I have to have a filler gauge. And that's why I said I was going to make some. Some I was thinking about just going and either uh, buying a relatively cheap filler gauge set and checking it with calipers and then actually cutting it off, bending it, and kind of making my own tool to get in there just to make it easier to access. Uh, Because of the design, you actually take these little covers off of the top of the heads or the the valve cover, if you will, so it's just a little access cover. What is wrong? Why are you shaking your head?
0: Because it's just not that complicated. Get a good set of feeler gauges. They bend. You can just put them right in. You don't have to worry about this stupid garbage specialty garbage crap
1: i i plan on being able to do this oh man okay that's you can
0: do it with a regular set of feeler gauges i agree i agree
1: i completely agree i'm not saying i have to have this Uh, what's wrong with me making specialty tools i love handmade tools if you don't love handmade tools then you can just go away you have your own handmade tools probably for ridiculous things too addison
0: yeah you're not wrong i have all kinds of ridiculous tools some call me a ridiculous tool Nonetheless. You, you don't need to do this. You're overcomplicating it. Just check your friggin' valves.
1: Okay. Okay. I'll just leave that alone. I'll do what I want when I do
0: but it. But you do need a good set of failure gauges to go back to our conversation on the right tool for the job. You do need to know whether your gap is correct there, but you don't need the specialty version with the correct 45 degree angle, magic, yada, 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 unnecessary expense.
1: No, I get it. I got you. I'm not saying otherwise.
0: Just hand over your credit card. And okay, this is back. the one thing so, that
1: I've noticed. If you can tell me where you can actually buy a decent set of feeler gauges that uh, are, are actually okay. I mean, because if you look on Amazon, one of the things that I thought was interesting, a lot of people are going to go look online to be able to buy something like this, potentially. And there's lots of things that come up anywhere from $5 to you know $20. They're all crap, in my opinion, after looking at them. There's very few that I would actually purchase. So people are using them. It's not that we're trying to get an absolute... Precise measurement for these uh, valves. There's there's a range, and you just want to be able to get into it. Obviously, there's a side that you would rather be on with that range, but um, they're all relatively. You just need a set of feeler gauges. You could check them with no caliper, and you could just see how close it is. That's all I have to say about. That's why I made the comment about I'll probably buy something cheap, cut it up, and because I already have a set of feeler gauges, Um, I could do it. To your point, with what I have, but I could spend Five minutes building a tool that makes it so i can easily get in there i don't have to worry about trying to form this feeler gauge into the right shape to get it in there correctly i'm okay with that
0: yeah all right do what you want okay nonetheless i would also argue that uh especially with adjustable um you know screw type adjustments on your your valves or at least the valve lash there, you you should be totally fine. Um, I don't think you're going to see, right, just knock it out in the middle. You can basically get a dead-on on on each of them. When you do the shim on bucket, sometimes you need to be a little more precise because sometimes, based on how much wear you have on that previous shim, you're going to be on one edge or the other, whether you want to or not. You just can't get it without custom machining your own valve shims. You can't get it to the right level. So it gets a little bit more particular with this right just pick the value in the middle of the range and adjust it right to that lock it down move on you know what i mean The yeah. these screw type adjustable valves are, are so simple especially once you've removed the cams to to do a full shim on bucket type uh type valve adjustment man going back to the old school is is like a dream
1: <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm pretty happy that that's going to be simple i've I'd, I'd been concerned that i was going to have to do uh some shim work but nope, not in this case it's going to be pretty straightforward so just have to do it I'm going to build my own um, synchronization gauge that allows me to just have two ports going into it be able to switch between the two and so I've got a nice snap-on gauge that I found uh, at a good deal somewhere so um, yeah got a couple things that I'm going to do to it but uh, definitely the focus is on the KLR making pretty good progress got the new valves in there lapped them in so now I'm just in the process of cleaning things up. So uh, gasket surfaces and everything are clean, but I actually have to clean out any of the ports, um, get them all scrubbed so I don't have any weird sediments in there when I put it back together. I want it to be uh, nice and clean and install the new valve uh, stem seals and, and uh, springs and stuff and be able to get that going. So that's pretty exciting as well. So I'll continue to make a progress on that. Hopefully get that yeah. going so I can hit the trails with, uh, with the group that likes to go out regularly. Uh,
0: by this summer, you're gonna get have both bikes up, up and running full full speed.
1: Yeah, should be good. I'm looking forward to it.
0: That's uh, that's pretty impressive, and you're getting a lot of work done on that. The uh, yeah, the, the question I have. So yeah, you've also got to uh, adjust the throttle bodies. Now, what's involved there? Is it is there an ECU? Do you, can you just plug in and read out the voltage and adjust accordingly, or is there are you having to actually use a vacuum gauge for this?
1: Yeah. So the way that it says in the service manual is you just uh, there's two ports up on top of the throttle body. Uh, you disconnect um, a couple hoses and you uh, line some hoses into that from your gauge and um, you're just balancing them out. It gives you a range on where that vacuum should be. And so uh, pretty much you set one and then make the other adjustment, or uh, make the other one. Um, so it's the same. Right. So it, it'll be pretty straightforward.
0: Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, you're basically carb-syncing. That's pretty Yeah, Yeah, well, I was really blown away. I was
1: actually really surprised by that. I had no idea that that was a normal thing to have to sync, uh throttle bodies on a fuel-injected motor. So, I, I, I mean, I messaged you uh, earlier this week, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's – I don't know, for whatever intuitively, I didn't think that would ever be an issue. So they mu- it must be a relatively uh, stupid system. I mean, just like a carburetor is kind of stupid. So I, I don't know. Uh, and What I mean by that is it, it's not um, monitoring all parameters and actually making adjustments in accordance to it. You, you set it and it's assuming that everything's perfect and then it uses whatever those settings are and runs its uh, program for it, so, uh, which is fine. It's just surprising.
0: Well, you know, it's throttled by wire. So you've got two throttle bodies that are moving on the same right adjustment wire. And so if something backs out on the screw or if you get a little wear on the touch point, that's all it is. So I've had had to check it on the Scrambler for throttle bodies, uh, on the Striple for throttle bodies. And then you do the same thing when you're syncing two carbs, right? Same kind of idea. Rarely are they out of sync unless you've got like crazy wear. Or a lot of sitting and rust, you know, type deterioration of those components. Uh, you know, chances are you're going to get into that part of it, and they're going to be pretty darn close. The second you, you know, See. if it's so running. So the question okay. is,
1: what do you think the service interval is on throttle body synchronization for that V Star?
0: My assumption. So let's start with this: the oil change is what four thousand mile oil change?
1: Uh, I think it says something like six thousand, but sure,
0: whatever. Six thousand. Okay. So I would assume you're probably talking a twelve thousand mile uh, throttle body sink.
1: every six thousand miles. Change. Every six? That's insane. Yeah. yeah, no, that's what. This is something that my dad never did, and I'm not saying that there's an actual issue with it. I'm just going, whoa, that's that's frequent. Yeah, that's too much. The valve adjustments every you know like sixteen thousand miles, okay. but every oil change is. Uh, they suggest doing a throttle body synchronization. I was just really surprised by that. I couldn't believe that that was the thing.
0: I 100% agree. I would have assumed every valve adjustment is basically what I was trying to assume on my every other oil change. That's how the Scrambler was, was some stupid amount. I think it was 7,000 mile, 7,500 oil change. Anyway, some, some ridiculous amount that seemed too much. But yeah, every other oil change, you're supposed to check the valves and adjust the throttle bodies. But for that, It was actually incredibly easy because you plugged in the ECU and it would actually read out the voltage of both throttle bodies and you just had to tweak the screw to get them to match. So it was like a three second job because you just pulled the seat, plug it in, run the bike, make an adjustment, move on. You know, it wasn't, you didn't have to, there was very little, you know, some, some vacuum gauges when I think uh, carburetors, because of the air fuel mixture screw, there is a lot of noise at low RPM. And you may find the same thing with a throttle body, especially cold. Uh, so you want to make sure it's all warmed up to do this, because I think you'll get less of that with a fuel-injected bike. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it, it can be really noisy with the vacuum gauges at times, and so that's where, uh, you know, where having just a simple voltage readout was just the easiest thing <laughs> ever. Plug plug it and run it, and the, the striples the same way. It's just plug it in read out what it says. If one of them's off, make the smallest adjust, And it is the smallest of adjustments. Like an eighth turn is way too much in most cases.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't anticipate I'll have to do a whole lot, but I think it's worthwhile to just check. I, I did notice that it's trying to kind of rattle itself apart at these weird low, uh, low RPM moments. And, and it's not horrible, but it's enough that I can understand why. Like uh, as soon as I got it home, I noticed that the rear rack was broken and so I'm going, whoa, that's weird, and uh, then actually it's got engine guards and stuff that uh, seem to move quite a bit, and at least the chrome is cracking on one of them, but I believe it actually might be a material thing, so I mean, it's just it's just time to have some of these other things that I guess weren't, um, that maybe he wasn't aware of, taken care of, so uh, not a big deal, but I kind of threw a wrench into just just uh let it rip so i got to do a little bit of work there but uh it's all pretty s- simple straightforward stuff
0: No, I, that sounds awesome man yeah i agree you know you know how i was with the the dr you get it you just dive in for a weekend get it all done and once you have everything done and top notch you know you're clear for a good amount of time before you got to worry about it. especially if you're riding often all that stuff kind of we were talking about with the throttle bodies a second ago right that it's really sitting and and getting gunky or rusted that starts to wear things like that not use because it's not like it's hitting and banging and right there's no actual physical uh, mechanical movement there when you're using the bike it's just deterioration over time and so if you're using it cleaning it and it's getting where you know normal use those things don't really go bad the valves may be a different story but (laughs) those uh you know those are more use-based but you know, I think you'll be good. I think it's a good idea to go through. And if you're already got the tank off, you're already doing the valves. At that point, throttle body is almost nothing.
1: Yeah, well, it's super simple. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Like, well, if you look at the service manual, it turns the the valves into a, a, a quite an ordeal. And, and you do have to pull a couple of coolant hoses in the process. But uh, really, reading online, it sounds like it can be you can you can skip a few of the steps that they suggest they wanted you to take the whole throttle body system off. And I'm like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. But, uh, what, you know,
0: I'm trying to think now you can check the, the, the grid the DR is a big single, super easy, small, little, um, you know, although, you know, a, 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 big twin should be just as roomy as a big single, quite frankly, for space to work on, on, uh, you know, engine covers and, and case, uh, viewpoints or whatever we want to call them inspection covers. Um, so I, I imagine, yeah, I imagine it wouldn't be as bad as as they say. But I'm surprised they make it look complicated. I wonder if some of that's similar to kind of the Harley Davidson game of, you know, making it look like you shouldn't be working on your own bike and you need to take it in for service. When in reality, if you know what you're doing, you can knock it out in a couple hours.
1: Well, see, that goes to the point that I guess the reason why my dad hadn't been taking it in for service one they wanted him to do something where they entire they tear down the entire bike, and they evaluate how well they did for. You know twelve to sixteen hundred dollars and he's like no you're not going to tear down the whole bike just so you guys can see how you've done Um, sure you might be looking at the bushings as well but uh, no we're not playing that game the other thing was is he took it in to have somebody do the tires one time and uh, swap the tires and they told them that they had to remove the saddlebags and he knew for a fact that you didn't actually have to remove the saddlebags they told him that they were going to charge him regardless he had the work done and he never had anybody do tires again. So he actually was swapping his own tires, balancing them himself and everything. So, which is fine, but just goes back to, I guess, building. We've talked about this. you got to have a good relationship with your shop and know that they're doing good work and be able to, you got to have a little bit of trust with them too. Um, so uh, you gotta, you got to just build that. Spend some time, get to know who they are, what they do, and uh, feedback have somebody else that takes their bike and give you a good referral on where to go. I think is the first step with that.
0: Yeah, I think that that's why a lot of shops and and people quite frankly do the off-tire tire changes. One, the cost is significantly less, two, the turnaround is way quicker. And I've even got to the point now, yeah, I've done enough tires last year that I I have no problem. I did a sport bike tire, I did a cruiser tire, and a dirt bike tire all within like a month of each other. And I mean, it's an exhausting job for that hour or whatever. You know, it takes some time to spoon them off and spoon them back on. And it's somewhat heavy lifting, right? I don't know that my my six-year-old would be able to handle it. It's not an easy job, but it's also not that that bad. And they're all perfect. And I'm a big fan of the Dyna beads for balancing, which makes balancing literally the easiest thing. You just pour a bunch of beads into into the valve stem. And call it good. It was just, you know, and I took that to the track on the on the stripple. I mean, I I'm a fan. I think they work. I had no balance issues or wobble or weird feels when I was pushing the bike pretty hard for for two days straight. So, yeah, yep, yeah. it's really just not that big of a deal. So kudos on him for doing all that work and and not uh, paying out the extra money. That being said, if time are an issue off bike, it's pretty quick. To, uh, to just drop off a rim and have somebody swap them out you know within minutes yeah
1: no it's understandable. so you had mentioned the other day uh, that um, Chicken Hawk was looking at a bike did he buy a bike? He did not yet and I'm not, hoping. no whoa 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 this sounded it, like the deal of a li- like what is going on here? because I know he's going to listen to this and so I this needs to be public. what's well, going I know on that
0: it does? Because I don't know that all parties interested or all parties uh, within his household are on board with this decision. So, I think this goes into a bigger discussion of what do you do when you need something or want something for your bike and it's not an insignificant cost. I think that's really the discussion here, right?
1: Something for your bike or a new bike? I mean, I'm just trying to understand.
0: I mean, depending on what you're putting on your bike, for what he's getting or the plan he's trying to make, it's about the same discussion. It's it's oh. a pretty screaming deal. It's a good option. He's looking at a, at a more a higher CC cruiser. Um, actually, it's more of a sport touring bike, but he's looking for something that'll that'll go the distance and not be stuck at, you know, to your point, 65, 70 full throttle.
1: Oh, so he's going to be joining on the uh, the ride, the Slacker Motor Ride. Is that correct?
0: No, but I'll tell you, if he gets this bike, I may steal it for the ride.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good option. We'll we'll have that discussion if and when it occurs. But but I think you bring up a really good point that we've had with a couple of a uh, couple of friends of the show about what do you do when you want something, need something because um, you know, motorcycles for the most part are generally a want, at least in America, most people don't rely on their bike as a full-time only vehicle. There are those that are better than I that do and kudos to them. Cause that is a need, right? If your tires wear out and that's your only source of transportation, then tires are a need and you better get some tires. But for those of us that have them as toys, um, as much as we use them, it's not an immediate need. When you want something big for your bike, what do you do? Right? How do you uh how do you work that in? Because I think it's a, an inter- interesting discussion. Do you keep track of what you buy? Do you track how much money and parts you put into your bike? I see the Craigslist ads where people put, you know, I put all this money, each part cost X amount. Here's my seven thousand dollar sticker price bike that has fourteen thousand dollars worth of parts. Is that the right way to do it? What do you think, Brad?
1: So, okay. Okay. So there's lots of theories in this. I mean, keeping track of what you spend on anything um, and creating a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. Uh, Do it. Uh, That's my suggestion there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of people that post things um, just to be frank, I think just looked up the value of those parts at the moment (laughs) that they did the listing. Um, uh, Some people do put together spreadsheets and I know many that are very adamant about it and blow my mind. Uh, And this is coming from a guy that likes to create them. Right. Uh, Or you could uh, at the same time, Negate all of that because you don't really plan on ever selling it, right? You know, using that as an example, I think, is one way. But but there are those that I have heard have actually um, um, informed their wife that all that it was was a sticker package for their dirt bike. It's not a new dirt bike. It's just a new graphics package for it. Um, do I think that that's the right way to do it when you buy a new bike is to try to trick your significant other, your spouse, to believe that it's the same bike? I don't know. I would say no, but some people have done this. Maybe eventually they told them the truth, but it's still an option, right? Perfect Do I think that chicken hawk can try to justify the new bike and say it's the old bike with the new fairing package and body kit and everything? I don't think it's going to go over that well. I don't think it's going to happen. Sorry, don't use that, chicken hawk. Ain't going to work, yo. So... um, I don't know. I think that the best way to manage all this is to just really have, a, like, buy the right bike the first time. Like, if you're going to spend that much money, buy what you really want instead of buying something that you think is going to be a decent um, deal and then having to invest just as much money into it. We've had this uh, discussion with another viewer, Ryan, before, and, uh, and to no avail, he still bought whatever he wanted, but we'll see how that plays out. Sorry, Ryan.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's a great disclaimer that, uh, you know, I I personally agree. I, I'm not a fan of of making up stories or, or right, lying about the situation. Um, however, I know, you know, everybody's relationship's a little different. And I'm not saying that lying is ever right. But if really they know that you're running a game and that's, right, the joke, then whatever to each his own. Um, but. I do agree that uh, you know there's also those that uh, that we know some friends of the show that talk about never keeping tabs, not keeping track of what you spend. Intentionally, because, yeah. yes, because it can cause issues with understanding exactly what you spend. Where when you're buying, you know, an exhaust pipe, you know, a, a new muffler on this month, and then some brakes the next month, and tires the next month, right? It's it's within the budget per se, but then you know at the end of the year, count, circling back and looking at exactly what it all was. Can be a bit shocking, both for you and your own sport, because let's be honest, most motorcycle parts and components, especially upgrades, are not cheap. So when you come back and look at exactly what you spent to make your, I mean, let's just use a really pie in the sky example, like maybe a versus 300, and then you drop a lot of money into that <laughs> to make it exactly what you want, right? At the end of it, you look at it and you think, well, what else could I have had with that money? And that's not the right way to look at it. So I actually have no problem with putting what you want in it to make it comfortable, to make it yours,
1: but I yeah. kind of agree with the that's sentiment. That's part of the that... sport. That's part of the sport. You buy a motorcycle to customize it. If you really want to go hog wild with customization, there's certain bikes that you should definitely gravitate towards.
0: I'll give you that a hundred percent that there are bikes that are, are much more readily customizable uh, than others, but yeah, don't keep, you know, if, if that's your game and it's not for, you know, for the purpose of, Buying a bike so you can try it out, make it really cool, ride it for a few months, and then sell it so you can do that with another one, right? If it's not a project that you plan to sell, to your point, then there is only harm in keeping track of how much you spend on each part, uh, at least within a running, uh, you know, a running calculation. Because you will but look sometimes back.
1: sometimes that's not always about the cost. It's keeping track of when you purchased items. Sometimes it helps you keep track of warranty for those items. I think those things need to be taken into consideration as well. Uh, but uh, are you okay, sir? I am. I agree.
0: I think I know what you're saying. And we're both far too blanketous right now. We're not making very specific statements. So I agree that you need to keep track of what you buy, what it costs, and everything involved with warranty upgrades. Because at some point, I'm a big fan of a build log, a big fan of pictures of your upgrades, pictures of your custom work. Nobody ever poo-poos on a used car or a car at a show, or a car in somebody's garage that they love, or a bike. I mean, we're talking bikes here, that has a great little binder full of everything done. People, Some people don't care, and they won't look at it, but no one's ever negative on that. That being said, you don't need a running balance sheet at the end that says, here's the calculation of everything that's into it. In the end, I put $40,000 into my $10,000 motorcycle. Yeah, no, so that,
1: That's going to make you sick. But in general, hobbies cost money. And if part of the hobby is $300 a month, then that's $300 a month for whatever it is. Because people spend that kind of money on lots of different hobbies. If you're just going to do track days and have a track bike, just imagine how much that's going to cost. Yeah, you're not going to keep track of everything that you put into that bike, how many tires you went through going to track days for the last five years. It doesn't really make any sense at the end, but at least it lets you keep track of how often you're going to have to buy them. Like, when am I going to have to start looking at buying tires? I don't want to have to always be checking my tires. I just need to buy them in advance. And so they're ready And it's when it's time.
0: Yep. And I think that's very fair. So yeah, for for wear items, especially understanding their lifespan, things like that. Yep. Really good reason to keep logs of what you're doing. Um, that was actually one of the biggest, I don't know, biggest is the right word, but one of the things I learned from uh, the Motofit group is one of the first things they taught in, in the post-lap or post-session um, writers meeting for the, the green group was they handed out a binder, right? A little spiral binder and said, hey, start logging your days, start logging your the temperature of the day, your fuel pressure right keep track of this stuff cuz you'll start to find that as you do that and as you look at what that did for your lap times what they did for your feel on the bike for your cornering you'll learn more what you should be doing from a day-to-day basis both on the track of course when you're going specifics for you know a few seconds better each lap but as well when you're on the road you'll know that oh you know maybe on the stock tires when this thing came out of the factory it wanted 33 psi but After riding a few laps on the track, I realized that 28 feels better on these Michelins rather than the Bridgestones that came factory or whatever it is, right? You're going to see that, hey, my setup that I prefer, my custom bike, doesn't necessarily match what it was on day one out of the factory floor. I need to make those adjustments. And if you ride them down and have to go on some, you know, terrible annual trip where you get to tour Europe for a year or something like that and come back to town, you're going to be able to just immediately jump on and know where to put things because you had it all documented. I know that's well, crazy. Or you have example, to replace
1: but. parts. Let's say you have a front fork set up, how your pressures and everything else is set up. Then you have to replace your front forks for some reason. Well, how did I have it set up? Well, I don't remember. Now I got to go through the development work to get it done instead of, or I can just reference my logs. So I think that's a good. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, and and two, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry,
0: especially if you're going with custom components. I've got a buddy with the. Uh, an old CB350, 360, I'm trying to remember what his little bike, maybe it's a 500, CB500, anyway, a small 80s CB Honda, and, uh, you know, he's got a custom custom rear suspension, custom forks, that came off of he doesn't know what, and right now, the forks are leaking, how do you know what fork seals to buy, it didn't come with a log of all the custom work done, it was just completed, the dude rode it for however long, and then sold it, right? And so there's not an indication of what he needs. So, you know, even beyond what you need and and going back to that, because I would be willing to bet that dude doesn't remember which forks he got out of a scrapyard when he threw them on, or off of eBay when he threw them on to upgrade the front suspension on that bike. You know, and so when you need that stuff, now you got to remove everything, completely disassemble, run measurements to figure out which seals you need, which springs you need, how much oil you need. You've got to go and reverse engineer the entire front suspension. When if you just knew that it came off of a, CB750 or whatever it was, a larger bike with better suspension, then you could say, hey, that's what I need is a kit for that bike.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's the time when logging stuff is absolutely uh, crucial, for sure. Not just in the motorcycle world, but I have plenty of vehicles as well where somebody has changed out uh, steering, suspension, what, whatever. And um, it's very frustrating trying to find parts when you don't know what parts they are. So uh, definitely uh, write that stuff down. Um, so the, I guess the question is, we didn't get into any of your builds. Talking about all these builds, costs, you know, accumulating. Uh, we can even incorporate total number of projects. How are yours going, and when will you be buying your next bike?
0: <laughs> Man, you are pushing hard. We're month three, almost month four into the year. You are pushing to already hit your goals, man. Don't worry.
1: Hey, you still hey. got. It didn't help none push. that you bought a bike within like a month, a, a <laughs> couple weeks of the prophecy being made.
0: Oh man! Similar to uh, the chicken hawk, sometimes deals come up that just are hard to pass up. That one was that one was probably one of the better buys I've ever made. Quite frankly, because I am really enjoying. I wrote it just the other day. When I went out of town or went around town here, did it got cut real short? But even just that little jaunt down the neighborhood, that's a fun little bike, man. And I'm which one more are we talking about? The DR, the DR six hundred and fifty. That okay. thing is is more fun than I thought it would be. And I think a little suspension and some fresh meat on the uh some fresh shoes on it, it's going to be a pretty awesome summer dual sport riding bike. I, I'm actually worried I may neglect the Stripple too much this summer because it's, a, it's a very fun bike. But anyway, but yeah what uh, what have we done? So we are all buttoned up and getting everything taped off well all the so GL the gladiator has an engine rear case front case all buttoned back together. So we've got a full block assembled bearings, seals, everything new, ready to go uh, and really at this point you know fresh gaskets at this point I got to pull off all the accessory components. Mounting hardware that I don't want to be a dark black. That's a matte black engine paint that I'm gonna do and then bake. Um but yeah, so I've gotta basically get it ready for paint, is where we're at on that. From that point, we can button it all back up, including cooling and and starter motor and all these things that I don't necessarily want to paint the same color or mix materials. Um and then yeah, begin getting it back in the frame so we can start mocking up and tacking on the rest of the frame improvements and from that point yeah we're it's a clear path forward at this point spent some time getting that all buttoned up and done um that's been the focus over the last couple weeks was getting the things that i've really been putting off on that completed uh with regards to the jt1 i also ended up getting the parts i needed to finish where i was at and it's basically ready i mean the frames painted Components are painted. It's at assembly point, but when I went to go start assembling the front suspension, it was just everything's so pretty now that it's freshly painted and powder coated. It was really hard to put a couple of old rusty crown nuts and things like that. As much polishing as I did, they're just a little pitted and they're bad and they're so inexpensive online that it was just worth replacing some of these things. So I put it in order. Unfortunately, a couple of them were on back order for a few weeks. So. I need to wait for some parts to get in, and uh, we'll move forward with that one. That being said, as well, I know I've said that being said sixteen times. The so uh, I know the <laughs> important thing to remember on these though is for most of these there actually is a pretty good tracking sheet of what's been spent and what's been done because I don't know that all of them will float in my possession for a significant period of time. I plan to have them all available um, on the site once they're done. Obviously, we'll get some test time in and some good rides and and some fun on them. But every project, it's like Legos, right? Half the fun is building it. So once these are done, um, we'll see. There's always an opportunity to get rid of them and start another one.
1: Okay, okay. Looking forward. You know, I gotta. I'm waiting. I know it's going to be this year. Maybe even two more bikes, as far as you know how the year's going so far. We're only three months <laughs> in. To your point. I should have s- speculated more, but but I'm okay with just saying two. Um, that's fine. That's fine. It uh, sounds like you made some good progress, a lot faster progress in some regards uh, uh, in comparison to the KLR, but uh, no, very cool. So we've got to plan a ride, getting to get the point where we're getting some nicer weather, but definitely a little bit rainy at times. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's good. It's good being back on the road, though. That's for sure. And uh, looking forward to being able to get get out there on some dual sport adventures. Now that you got a DR as well.
0: Um. Yeah. I'm glad you're you're still plugging away on the KLR, even though you got a replacement bike. I, I was concerned you'd you'd set this up and then just throw that into boxes and store it on the top shelf of your your garage. Um. So I'm glad you're still putting the time and effort into that, because uh, I agree. It's going to be awesome to to get out. I know you've got some Eastern Oregon adventures that uh, that you owe the group, whether you know it or not. I'm excited to see what you map out and plan for us, and yeah. uh, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. I, you know, I I think we've got the right vehicles. We can throw them if we want to do a longer trip, right? Or start from a longer base camp, throw them in a truck, head out there, and then basically, right, lock the trucks up for three four days while we do nothing but ride and camp. Yeah. So I think that that's a fun opportunity that uh, that I've got now, and I didn't really have before with just the dirt bike. I always felt a little too outlaw on a trip like that, running the dirt bike uh, with enough paved roads in between, knowing that uh, it probably wasn't worth the risk, and it's 100% illegal. Um, so now that I can legally do all that, I'm pretty excited to to join the crew, and I know you're uh, hopefully just a few months from finishing out the KLR, right?
1: Yeah, no, I'd like to have it done in the next month. Uh, The the goal was initially to have it done by Easter weekend, and uh, just lots kind of gone on. But I'm still making progress, and getting the valves in and such uh, definitely helped get me back on track. So I believe that I have everything at least to get it running. Once it's running, then I I need to do tires. I need to look at doing fork seals, but running is running and uh dr- riding is is a huge milestone for it and then the rest just follows suit. So um yeah, should be good to go.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah, you're not too far. I mean, Easter is is not not like it's tomorrow, so you've got a bit of time and it sounds like you're doing pretty well to that goal. You may be a bit behind, but I don't know that there's anything big happening till, you know, a few weeks after Easter anyway, so you'll be you'll be on par to be able to make probably the first run, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I should have the cylinder and head bolted down uh, by uh, hopefully this weekend and um, and then be able to go from there, yeah. Nice. Nice. Good work, man. So, yeah,
0: to all of those points, I know you've got some valves. I don't know when you're planning to do it. You've got some valve change or valve adjustments. Maybe it's just a valve check if you're lucky and the vibration is just normal and you didn't know it. Um, But, you know, those twins can be a bit that way sometimes. So could very well just be normal. Uh, But, yeah, I know that there is a plan at the moment to kick off the community garage here at Slacker Moto. Um, So if you're in the the Portland metro area, let's call it, you can come from anywhere, Seattle. Heck, you can come from New York if you want to drive all the way out just to adjust some valves. But uh, we're planning the inaugural visit for uh, for some valve changes because I believe that the chicken Hawks ride needs a valve adjustment. Uh, and that's going to be a flat four. It's going to be a bit of a, or an inline four. It's going to be a bit of a job. So I figure if we're, if I'm spending a full day doing that, might as well have a few others come by and, and we can all learn and help each other. So if you don't know how to do it, we'll have more details on the specific dates, but I think that'll be a good opportunity for everybody to come and, and we can get that kind of kick off and see how it works out here uh, for the community garage i think yeah, there's enough people that, that i think that's an intimidating job for a lot of people i know my first at least my first shim on bucket valves were a bit intimidating just because of the amount that you have to remove and to your point um the triumph manual for the scrambler made it seem so scary and so catastrophic if you miss like one little thing which is true if you did do it wrong, you really could blow something up. They made it out. sound
1: like this, and it was
0: true! Well, I mean, I guess the way I'm t- saying it is true, <laughs> that that if you do it wrong, you can cause some big issues, but the room for error was very big. It was You'd have to purpose... I mean, that's too extreme. But if you just pay attention to what you're doing, it was very easy to not do something wrong.
1: Keep uh, your eyes wait. open.
0: Yeah. Well, keep your eyes open Hold things where they are, take pictures of where they are, right? If you're worried about your, you know, overhead cam gears moving, just notice, put them in the right spot where the notches line up. Then when you put it all back together, make sure the notches realign up. Like, it just wasn't the big ordeal <laughs> that the manual or the internet said it would be when everybody's taking it to dealers. Um, and, it, you know, I'm one of those, you and I both are one of those people, and we hope that our listeners can be as well, that are willing to get their hands dirty and try it. Right? Yeah. But that was one of those that, that you know, should you, should it go wrong, the uh, the effects of that would have been pretty pretty painful, but both uh, well, possibly physically, but definitely mentally. Um, but at the same point, you know, this is something that that is very much doable on pretty much every bike. Obviously, this is something that's common; it's a routine maintenance item on most bikes. Um, so yeah, that's the plan. If you've got or think you're due, or maybe very overdue. Because it wasn't something you were willing to do before, it'd be awesome if we had five, six, seven bikes with the heads off here, uh, you know, doing valve adjustments, sharing a couple of uh, feeler gauges, and let's get her done.
1: That sounds so scary, uh, but I think it'd be it'd be awesome to be with, with everybody and going through that. But uh, just make sure that if you show up, that you have a service manual. That's all I'll ask, please. That is my requirement for anybody that I will walk through any help. Um, on anything, whether it be brakes or engine work, is that we have to know the right information. The Last thing I want to do is be looking through forums. Just get a service manual, a service manual or a Haynes, something that actually details, um, the, you know, torque specs and everything else. It also has uh, hints and suggestions for what actually needs to come apart to get into that work. Uh, just have all of that. That's my only request.
0: I agree. Show up with and show up with what you need, right? Uh, I don't want to see anything left in uh here in the shop overnight so show up with what you need if it's if you know you need shims have them ready to go or know which shop you need to run to and trailer your bike over or you know whatever you need to do but we'll get into the specifics as we dive into that specific day and, and we'll have the rules up as we post it to facebook so yeah keep an eye out for facebook for that but i also really wanted to give a shout out because i think they deserve it because this is not original idea to motorcycles and misfits i don't know whether they're listening i hope you are Um, they're an awesome group that do the recycle garage and, uh, it's a pretty, pretty impressive project where they do basically community garage every Sunday. Um, and so I don't know that we'll be able to keep up with their pace of weekly, but we will definitely try to have a very clear cadence so we can help our listeners and ourselves keep up on our maintenance. Because one of the easiest ways to keep yourself safe is to make sure your bike is safe to ride. Um, you know, obviously you can do something stupid or somebody can do something stupid to put you in danger, but there's nothing worse than going down just because you missed a simple maintenance item.
1: No, absolutely. And whether or not the valves are the biggest one, but uh, but they are critical. It's a good starting point.
0: Yep. So yeah, there, there'll be simpler things we can do. And if you all you need to do is an oil change or a brake job, by all means, you're invited as well because we can help you through that pretty easy. But I think valves is a is a pretty pretty good learning environment to start. Uh, if you're willing to get your hands dirty and, and put a little bit of risk into it. So we'll start with that. We'll get more information again. Keep up on, on Instagram and Facebook for that information as it comes out. Uh, otherwise, appreciate you joining us. Check out com. There's a number of changes. We keep saying it. And it keeps adjusting a little bit the website. So if you find those changes, feel free to shout out and let us know that you found them. Uh, nope. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, that's not really a big deal there. Um, but yeah, we look forward to uh, to joining with you next week, and hope everybody has an awesome week. It's getting to be that season, at least in the U.S., that, uh, that we hope to catch you on the road as well.
1: That being said, until next time, <laughs> ride on!